0: Hey guys, Pastor Marcus Kelly over here at the exciting Grace Baptist Church right there on Highway 45 between Jackson and Henderson, Tennessee, and I'm bringing you our midweek Bible study for the week. I'm super excited to be with you guys and continue our Bible study that we were doing in the book of... Galatians, You know, this amazing uh, little book, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, but a couple of things before we get into that. I want to remind you uh, that if you will go to our the uh, gracebaptistfamily.com backslash grace at home, uh, the, the link should be there for you. If you go there, you can actually get the uh, Bible study notes uh, for tonight. And there's some other resources there for you uh, right there on gracebaptistfamily.com. Uh, And then also, I wanted to let you know uh, about this coming Sunday. You know, we're on a week-to-week schedule here at Grace. And this Sunday, we're going to have our drive-in church, man, where you're going to be able to come in. We're going to park. We're going to have a stage set up. We're going to have worship, preaching. All of that, and you're gonna be able to tune in your car to a, a radio station and uh, listen to the service in your car. And of course, we'll have the music and everything going as well, but this is just, I don't know, man. We gotta get creative and so that we can get together, but still be safe but yet spend time together as a church family and so in these days with everything going on with this pandemic uh, we know that we're going to have to be get creative as the church but also to be intentional in ministering to each other and loving on each other and i just want to thank all of you you've done an outstanding job on uh, this past sunday it was just so awesome seeing everyone interacting online we know we had a glitch Uh, we, congratulations. You broke Facebook. Okay. And so, uh, but, um, and so just be praying for each other and the days ahead, ministering to each other. And we operate on Remember we talked about it Sunday. Who are we? We're people of faith, man. We don't live in fear. We live in faith, right? And we're givers and we're not takers and we're going to let our light shine. And that's what we're going to do as Grace Baptist Church. We're going to lit the light of Jesus Christ shine. And so we're just super excited though about spending time together this Sunday and doing drive-in church right there at Grace Baptist Church. Invite your friends and family to join you. It's going to be a unique time in the life of the church. Now, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter number two, but also go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10 as well. Have your thumb there if you would like to, to look up some of these Bible verses we're going to talk about. Today, uh, uh, we're talking about the great apostolic smackdown, right? It's the the gospel rumble, baby. This is a a fight of the ages almost. It's a scrap. In one corner, you've got the doctor of doctrine, the apostle Paul. In the other corner, you've got the pillar of the church and the apostle Peter. And they've got a disagreement. They've got something that they're going to have to hash out. And this is one of the biggest, if not one of the most important church conflicts in all of the history of the church. I mean, this isn't like, like, you know, Mildred is mad at Ethel because Ethel used the church kitchen without permission or something stupid like that. Now, I mean, it's not not something like that at all. This is serious. This is, uh, we got the two heavyweight apostles going toe to toe and the clarity and the integrity of the gospel is at stake. And so we got a lot to learn from this. Now, first of all, if you don't know, if you have, we haven't read it yet, but uh, when you find out what this conflict is about, you're going to be like, what? It was a this conflict is about eating with Gentiles. It's about eating with Gentiles. You're like no big deal. I eat with Gentiles every day. Well, you probably weren't Jewish back then and you weren't an apostle. We're going to see this wasn't small or trivial at all Paul gets in Peter's face because the heart of the gospel is under attack. So let's read it together. Look with me, uh, Galatians chapter two, and I'm going to be starting in verse number 11. Uh, Galatians two, verse 11 says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face uh, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with them. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Right? Right? And so, uh, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this: how Paul, 14 years earlier, uh, after 14 years, I mean, of preaching ministry, he went to Jerusalem and he presented his gospel of grace to the gospel to the the apostles there in Jerusalem because there's this group of people, the Judaizers, who were saying that Paul wasn't preaching the same kind of gospel as the apostles, and all of this. And so he went there to kind of get a checkup, if you will, and, and to talk to the other apostles. And they extended the right hand of friendship. They gave him their step of approval. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same team, right? Well, now you've got. Peter, doing the traveling, he travels about 300 miles to the church at Antioch, which was in Syria. Now there's a couple things you need to know about the Antioch church. The Antioch church was awesome. Uh, the first thing is that the Anna, uh, Antioch church was a breakthrough place for the gospel. And the church of Antioch was the third largest city uh, in the Roman empire. It was very cosmopolitan. The church of Antioch, Antioch was literally where East met West. It's the place where if you know your Bible history, followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch, right? Uh, They happened there first. So it's absolutely a a breakthrough place for the gospel. It was the first place where Jewish Christians shared the gospel with non-Jewish people. That all happened right there at Antioch. Also, Antioch was uh, the uh, pioneer church. The Antioch church was the first place where Jewish background Christians and Gentile background Christians worshiped together in the same place. They worshiped together, they shared meals together, they took the Lord's supper together, they set aside all their differences and became one in Christ. This wasn't happening anywhere else in the world. This was huge. It was a first. It's a breakthrough church, it's a pioneer church. So the apostle Peter is traveling those 300 miles all the way to Syria, all the way to Antioch to see what's going on. He's been hearing about all this awesome transformational news coming out of this, and he's going to see it for himself. Now, first of all, can you imagine how cool it would have been to have the apostle Peter come to your church? The apostle Peter, right? Who walked on water, who was personally called into the ministry by Jesus, who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He was right there. This Peter who went to the empty tomb on Easter and saw the empty tomb and met and saw the resurrected Lord. Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. This Peter is coming to your church to visit, man. You know the people were excited, right? the apostle Peter is going to be right there in the flesh with him. And no doubt what Paul saw in Antioch amazed and pleased him too, right? He saw Jews and Gentile Christians worshiping together, living together, serving together. And Peter loved it and he joined right in with it. And so, in matter of fact, verse 12 says that he gladly ate his meals with his Gentile brothers in Christ. But something happened. Look at verse number 12. Paul tells us, he says, "For before certain men came from James. Okay, so who's that? Uh, um, They're coming from Jerusalem, the Christian headquarters. And James is uh, uh, the number one guy over the church in Jerusalem. And they hear these things that are going on and they're sending some people to check it out. And then when they get there and they're seeing what's going on with Peter and the church at Antioch, they're absolutely appalled by it. They're disgusted by it. They see in their eyes, circumcised Jews eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. They saw Jews completely, I mean, like they're going, they're eating the bacon, they're eating the pork, completely ignoring all the kosher kosher laws and the rules, right? They see the apostle uh, Peter eating ham bone and bacon and, and with uncircumcised Gentiles. They can't believe it. The whole scene, it disgusted them. It disgusted them, right? And evidently they started stirring up trouble. And Paul said that uh, Peter was afraid of them. Peter was under extreme pressure from these people and he gave into it. He absolutely caved in. He stopped eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And in his heart, he knew what he was doing was wrong, and he did it anyway. That's why the apostle Paul accuses Peter of hypocrisy, of play acting, right? So anyway, there's three lessons I want us to learn from this uh, section of scripture uh, together this evening. These three lessons I want us to learn from three different people. The first person I want us to learn from is Peter, from Peter. And what he teaches us here is there are no perfect leaders. There are no perfect Perfect leaders. I mean that should be some encouragement for us, right? Not even the apostles got it right all the time, okay? Nobody does. I mean, does that make you feel a little better? It makes me feel a little bit better. I mean it's not an excuse to mess up, but it's just a fact. Here's a guy who knew better, here's a guy who believed better, right? And in this but in this instance, he knew better, he believed better, but he didn't live better. He didn't live better. He had to be called out on it. Look at look at verse number 14, Galatians 2, verse 14. Paul says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? See, there's a direct connection between how we live and what we believe. See, we can say we believe one thing, but how we live really bears that out. That's why Paul says to Peter, man, uh, dude, you're out of alignment. Your walk doesn't match your talk. Your talk and your walk are out of sync, right? And, and when we don't live about what we say we believe in, that's what makes us hypocrites. Our life actions should match up with our life beliefs. Now here's the thing. Paul knew better. Paul knew better. Paul knew that he was wrong. Now you're like, Brother Marcus, how do you know that Paul? I mean, uh, that Peter, I'm sorry, I keep I keep uh, mixing up Peter and Paul's names. <laughs> how do you know that Peter knew better, right? Well, look in your Bible at chapter number 10. I'm going to show you that God specifically showed Peter something so that he would be prepared for a moment just like this. Look at Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse number 1. Acts 10 verse 1 says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Now I'm gonna stop right there. What I want you to see is that this is a good dude, man. Cornelius is a good guy. He's a good man. He prayed. He gave to the poor. He he was compassionate with people. But here's the problem. He was lost he was lost. He didn't know God personally. If Cornelius had died at that moment and nothing else happened in his life, he would have went straight to hell because he didn't know Jesus. But because Cornelius was honestly seeking God, because Cornelius wholeheartedly wanted to know God, God met him at the point of his greatest need. God got him what he actually needed. Look at verse four. He says, when he observed him, he said he was afraid and said, what is Cornelius says? Lord?'" So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Now the whole point of Acts 10, I want you to get this. The whole point of Acts 10 is that it doesn't make any difference how sincere you are about your version of God. It doesn't, sincerity doesn't count. It just doesn't count. You have to know, you have to be sincere about the accurate and true message of Jesus Christ or you're not going to heaven. If sincerity was enough, God would have just let Cornelius keep living that way, right? Cornelius is a good dude. He's given to the poor. He prays and he does good things. He's a good dude. Like if so, if sincerity was all that mattered, then Cornelius had it in spades, but it's not enough, right? Right? sincerity has never been enough. You can only be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're sincere and wrong, you're just sincerely wrong. You have to be right. Religion and sincerity cannot and have never saved anybody. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save anybody. Now I hear this sometimes. It's, it breaks my heart a little. They'll be like, oh, I know this guy at work he's a, you know, he's a Muslim, but he's a, you know, he's a, he's a man of peace. Or I've seen uh, certain denominational leaders, you know, uh, refer to somebody of another uh, religion, so to speak, a a Muslim. He's a man of peace. He's a good man and all of that. None of that matters apart from Jesus Christ. You have to have Christ. It doesn't matter how good you are on your own according to our standards. Only the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ can save, man. And we got to get that through our heads. Look at verse number nine. He says the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city. And now Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, And saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. And Peter goes into this trance. God speaks to him through a vision, this huge sheet full of uncleaned, non-kosher animals, right? I mean, all this is part of the dietary restriction from the Old Testament. You find most of it in the book of Leviticus, right? This, These dietary, this is how God, uh, distinct, there was part of the distinctiveness of, of the Israelites compared to the rest of the world. There was just some things they were allowed to eat, some things they weren't allowed to eat, right? And it just made them distinct in the world. But God says, Peter, go ahead. I'm giving you the, okay, you've got permission to eat it. And Peter's like, God, you gotta be kidding me. This is disgusting. I've never eaten something like this in my whole life and I'm not gonna start now. Peter couldn't imagine eating it, right? He's thinking only sinners eat stuff like that only sinners. God said, eat it, Peter. Now, what's this all about? God is breaking down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles. God is breaking down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's letting Peter know. God is about to get the gospel uh, to this Gentile named Cornelius through Peter. But Peter has to understand that the gospel isn't just for Jews. The gospel is for everyone, right? And see, I want you to understand this too. When when Peter sees these foods and, and God is like, hey, Peter, eat, Peter doesn't just see unclean food. When Peter sees that food, he sees unclean people, right? It's not like I can't eat food like that. He's like, I can't eat food like that, like people like that, that eat that kind of food. I can't be like those people. I'm better than them. And I'm better than that. But God said, Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean. This isn't just about food. This is about people. The gospel is for everyone, right? I'll, to make a long story shorter, Peter goes to the uh, Cornelius' house. He shares the gospel with him. Cornelius gets saved. The whole family gets saved. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter is shocked, but he's excited. But look what happens. Acts 11 verse 1. It says, now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. How could you eat with those people? But Peter's patient and he explains it to them. Verses four through 15, he tells them everything that's happened. Look at verse 15, he kind of wraps it, he says, and he said, "And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning." Now look at verse number seventeen. He said, "If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could withstand God?" When they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, "Then God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance of uh, the repentance to life." Good logic, right? I mean, if it's good enough for God, is it good enough for you? If it's good enough for God, is it good enough for us? I mean, here's what I want you to understand. Even though that Peter knew the gospel, even though that Peter understood the gospel and he had experienced the power of the gospel, at times, even in Peter's life, he struggled to live a life that was in line with all the implications of the gospel. See, I'm not always going to get it right you're not always going to get it right. There are times when all of us, man, get off track and we need to be humble enough, loving enough, open enough, honest enough to allow other people to correct us. I mean, to speak into our lives in such a way that we can get back on track. So that's Peter. The second guy I want you to look at is Barnabas. And Barnabas, In Barnabas, we see that even solid believers, good believers can be led astray. They could be led astray. Look at verse number 13, Galatians chapter two, verse 13. It said, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, with Peter, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I mean, by the way, one thing is for sure. Paul's not afraid of naming names, is he? Right? I mean, he just, he said Barnabas. (laughs) He calls them out, but you can hear the shock and agony in it. He says, even Barnabas, Barnabas was led astray, was carried away by the hypocrisy, even Barnabas of all people, right? Peter's hypocrisy infected and affected Barnabas. It was contagious. And I'm sure Barnabas was like, hey man, dude, this is Peter. This is Peter that was there at the empty tomb. This is Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost. This is the Peter that walked on the water there for a second. And so if Peter th- thinks this is okay, then I'm going to go with Peter's example. Here's a truth you need to understand. Your sin always affects other people. Peter got off track and he took other people with him. Your sin always affects other people. It's not just you. It never hurts only you. You always hurt and damage other people. And it's usually the people that you care about. The people who are watching watching you. The people who are listening to you. That look up to you. Your sin affects your children. It affects your coworkers. It affects your spouse. It affects your church. It affects every sphere of your life. Every broken listen to me. Every broken family in the world is a result of sin. Every one of them. Always. So be careful, man. Good, solid people can be led astray when they get their eyes on a person instead of Christ. Barnabas had his eyes on Peter. Number 3, the third person is Paul. Paul. And Paul shows us that godly people will absolutely lovingly confront error. Paul realizes that if this uh, kind of thing is allowed to go on that the Christian faith is in jeopardy, that the gospel going to the Gentiles is in trouble, man. These Gentiles who had just come out of bondage of paganism are now in danger of going into the bondage of Judaism, some other religion or some mix up of Christianity and Judaism. So he, he's like, I've got to confront Peter. Now he teaches us some things here about a Christian, uh, you know, when we confront each other as believers, And he teaches. The first thing he teaches us is that it should be personal. It should be personal. Look at verse eleven, Galatians two, verse eleven says. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He doesn't say I went on straight. I went straight on Facebook and did a Facebook post so everybody know I would know how Peter messed up. Or he didn't say, I went straight on social media and I posted about Peter, but I didn't say his name, but everybody would know I was talking about Peter. And if Peter read it, Peter would know that I was talking about him, but Peter couldn't say anything because I didn't put his name in there. So that way I could get my point across, you know, all passive aggressive. No, that's not what Paul did either. He didn't send him a text. He didn't send a letter. he He said, I withstood him face to face. He talked to Peter like a man. He talked to Peter like a man, face-to-face, like grown-up folks. That's what we're missing in the church, grown-up conversations, right? When we have a godly disagreement, we have to handle it in a godly way. The way we could tell that we don't have a godly disagreement is when we don't handle it in a godly way. We, If it's personal, we need to be personal with it. It needs to be face to face. There will be so much less pain and heartburn and heartache in the church. There will be so many fewer church splits if we just take our heartaches to uh, each other and confront each other lovingly. If people who are hurt would lovingly confront those who have hurt them, go and talk to them like adults. And then when somebody goes and talks to you like an adult, respond like an adult. Let them know how much you love them and how their actions have affected you or vice versa. Right? It should be done. Uh, godly disagreement uh, should be done in a godly way. But it's and that's always this. It's not everybody else accepts you personal. Number two, it should be truthful. So when we do this, we confront each other as believers. We need to do it personally and we need to be truthful. This isn't a matter of preference. It's a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of truth and error. It's not about hearsay. It's not about some gospel. This is about truth. Peter knew that he was wrong. Paul knew that he was wrong. The church knew that he was wrong. Somebody had to say something something had to be done. This couldn't be swept under the rug, right? And so when truth is at stake, we have to lovingly confront one another. It needs to be personal. It needs to be truthful. But then also number three, it needs to be gentle. There's no reason to be ugly, man. There's no reason to be ugly and hateful and spiteful in church. Right? There's no reason. Paul didn't blow his cool talking to Peter. It's like, Peter, you suck. (laughs) You rotten, no good hypocrite. You're the worst and you're a scum. No, he didn't do that at all. He just asked Peter a question. Look at it, Galatians 2.14. He said, if you, Peter, being a Jew, you're living in the manner of Gentiles and not as of the Jews Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You're not living like a Jew. Why do you expect these Gentile people to live like a Jew? Why are you reversing your position, right? Until this circumcision party showed up, you were okay. You were fine. You were acting one way. Now they're here and you're acting completely different because you're afraid, man, and you've caved into the peer pressure. You're trying to get Gentiles to start behaving like Jews. You're taking the gospel backwards, man. You're not advancing the gospel. You're causing it to go Backwards. Listen. When great issues of truth are at stake, we have to set aside our personal friendships. When great issues of truth are at stake, we have to set aside our personal relationships and stand on truth. Doesn't mean we hurt people. Doesn't mean we 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 major in minors or any of that. But when it's called for, we must confront one each other you know, personally. And we have to do it you know, lovingly and gently as well. And it has to be based on truth, man. It couldn't have been easy for Paul to rebuke Peter right there in front of everybody. He's risking losing the friendship of Peter. I mean, what if uh, Peter doesn't respond very well? What if uh, Peter gets angry and he attacks Paul's character? Paul's already got enough enemies. He doesn't need the pillar of the church, the apostle Peter coming after him too. What if he ended up splitting the church? Paul couldn't be sure what would happen, but he knew that he had to do it anyway. It's not about who's right, it's about what's right what's right. So often we're concerned about who's on what side of an issue. It doesn't matter who's on what side of an issue. It matters what's right and what is true. Truth trumps personality. Somebody said this, before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. And that way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. Listen, of the three characters that we talked about today, um, whose sandals are you wearing? Whose shoes are you walking in? Are you like Paul? Is there somebody that man you need to be prayed up and you need to lovingly uh, help who have stumbled and gotten off the gospel track? Are you in the sandals of Barnabas? Have you gotten? Are you following the wrong leader? Have you got your eyes on man and not on God and His Word? You need to take your eyes off people and put them on Jesus. Or maybe you're like Peter. And you need to examine your life and make sure that your walk matches your talk, that your life matches what you really believe and what you say that you believe, according to God's word and God's spirit. Because how we live reflects what we really believe and how we live affects so many others, we cannot even begin to understand it on this side of eternity. Listen guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight for our Bible study. I pray that it was a blessing for you. I want to encourage you, man. Please leave your prayer requests in the comments, share the video, leave your prayer requests uh, below so we can be praying for you and you can direct message us uh, right here at the church. And uh, so that we can be praying for you. Anything that we can do, we want to minister to you guys. Don't forget you can uh, uh, get this and other resources right there at gracebaptistfamily.com, grace on the grace at home tab. And then uh, also don't Don't forget to uh, make plans now to join us this coming Sunday for Drive-In Church, man. Who knew it? But it's coming. It's 2020, and this is the life we're living right now. Listen, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week. Again, if we could do anything, if we could pray for you, please let us know. God bless you guys. Have a great night.